Welcome to The Rounds, a podcast of Marshfield Clinic Health System. I'm your host, Adam Hocking. The Rounds brings together medical experts to discuss fresh, fascinating, and important topics from the world of healthcare. More than ever, smartphones, and with them the internet and social media, are part of our children's lives. Joining me today to discuss the impact of this digital revolution on children's development and emotional well-being is Dr. Stephanie Kolbeck. Dr. Kolbeck is a child psychologist at Marshfield Clinic. Her work has appeared in such publications as the Journal of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics, the Journal of Emotional Abuse, and the Journal of Abnormal Child Psychology. Dr. Kolbeck, thank you for joining me today. No problem. So a recent study in the pediatric clinics of North America showed that since 1970, the age at which children begin to regularly interact with media has shifted from four years to four months. Uh, a similar uh, article in that same publication uh, said 95% of teenagers or kids 12 and older are online with 80% owning a computer and 77% owning a cell phone. So not only is this digital media more widespread than ever, but kids are engaging with it sooner than ever. Uh, what implications does that have in your mind from a child development perspective? I think it changes the trajectory of child development. I think kids are being exposed to things sooner. They're um, learning information sooner. Um, so I think it changes the trajectory, you know, when you think of it in a global sense. Um, I don't think it just has negative implications. I think there's a positive piece of exposure to social media, internet, um, you know, technology. Um, but I also think that there, there are also some negative side effects. I think it impacts their social-emotional development in terms of how do they interact and how are they with their peers. I think it impacts um, social problem-solving skills. How do how do I how do I negotiate um, this conflict with my friends? Um, I think so. Socially, there's I think a big impact. I think cognitively, um, there's a, an impact as well. And I think both a good thing and a not so good thing. Um, I, I think kids who have a greater exposure to technology and social media and all of that. Um, sometimes lose or may not develop skills at the same time and at the same pace at which kids who aren't exposed to that. And they're just different skills that get developed. For example, you know, when we were kids and we had to, or in high school, and we had to write a paper or do something like that, we would have to go to the library and look the reference up in the delete decimal system or whatever it was, here kids go to the internet, they type it in, and they have a myriad of options. And then not only that, then the internet suggests, why don't you go here and why don't you go there? And so I think those deductive or induction skills sometimes, inductive skills sometimes get impacted. Um, so I think it changes the trajectory. And kids have uh, more access to information, but perhaps they don't retain it as well, or they don't uh, develop the skills that would come along with it. Uh, like in my case, I was 18 when I first got my cell phone, and it was a flip phone. So mm -hmm. I wasn't racing through the internet or anything like that. So I still had to do it, do homework and research in a more old school fashion where you have to uh, perhaps put in more legwork. So maybe those skills uh, of, of kind of doing the legwork are lost, but you have access to more information. 
accurate, very accurate. And it, when you have access to so much information and so uh, and just, just the breadth of it, you, there's no way you can keep all of that information just in your head. And, oh, gee, I don't have to remember this. I can just go to my phone, flip, 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 flip. Oh, there it is. So, yeah. I'm interested in the social component of kids. I mean, you can see preteens or teenagers sitting right next to each other on a couch texting each other rather than speaking to each other or communicating through Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter. Um, and, that, and that seems to be replacing a great deal of face-to-face communication. What, in your opinion, is lost when children are living much of their lives uh, digitally through their phones, especially their social lives? Yeah. I think what gets lost in that interaction is the context, is the facial cues, the body language, the mere, you know, traditional or pure social aspect of it. So when you think about that, then children are not able to learn, how do I pick up on facial cues? How do I pick up on um, body language so that, gee, when somebody does this with their eyebrows or this with their body, I might have said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing. So I think they lose that piece of it. Um, The tone. Think of, you know, texting. You can't, you can't, um, or sometimes the tone is misinterpreted. Um, There is no way sometimes to communicate the tone of a message. So I think they, they lose that piece as well. The ebb and flow of natural socializations um, are lost in texting. What do you see as sort of the long-term consequence of a generation that is raised socially communicating through a device rather than using their bodies, using mm-hmm. uh, face-to-face interaction? Are, do you, are you concerned about a, a, I don't want to say a socially inept generation, but maybe a, a totally new social structure? Yeah, I I don't think it would be socially inept because I do think that, I mean, just even look at generations before us. How we socialize right now is very different than how our parents socialized. We don't have teas and, you know, or get-togethers in the living room and all of that sort of thing. It's even, even now is different than a generation ago. So I think how we socialize with each other, it's a natural sort of way our our culture changes. All cultures change in how they communicate and socialize with each other. There are going to be some lost skills. For example, letter writing. When is the last, I mean, I don't think my kids have written a letter, you know. Letter writing used to be the way to communicate with each other, but we're still socializing and we're still communicating with each other. So I think there's going to be a give and take, a sort of, uh, we're going to lose some, we're going to gain some skills. Some, you know, because I don't want to paint um, kids having access to cell phones and access to social media and the internet as all bad. I really don't think it is that. For example, I think of kids who are shy, kids who are social introverts. This can be a really good way for those types of kids to reach out to their peers and to connect with their peers on a level that's comfortable for them. They don't have to sit face-to-face and look somebody in the eye and and be in the same room with them, and they can still feel connected to their peers. So I think that's a real benefit of some of these forms of um, socialization. What does it do to identity for kids that are 
forming their identity as they're coming up through adolescence to have uh, almost this ability to portray whoever they want themselves to be perceived as uh, on social media, mm-hmm. where maybe they can't do that in person. It's almost like there's dueling identities at times. Do you, have you? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think that kids as they develop their sense of themselves, they will always have periods that they go through that they want to pretend that they're somebody they might not be. I think of adolescence in particular as a uh, phase of development where, you know what, Um, I'm going to, how do I put this? I think there's always facades that kids put forth when they're developing, whether it's because of I want to fit in or my self-esteem is a little lower and I don't want people to know this, Um, or if it's, um, it makes them feel better to be somebody else. So I think social media is just another avenue through which they can do that, and it probably makes it a little easier for them to pretend they're somebody else. Um, But I think they do it in person too. You know, I think kids... um, will wear things, you know, will dress a certain way, will act a certain way, when really on the inside, they probably aren't feeling that way all the time. You know, they're walking through the halls and they're looking all confident and, you know, um, big dog on campus, whatever. But really inside, they might not be feeling that well. And I think as parents, you know, and I think this is the piece that we haven't talked about yet is what role that parents play in this. I think it's parents who play a critical role in letting them know and encouraging them to be themselves, you know, and to not try to pretend to be somebody else, you know, via social media or in person. Um, I think the biggest piece when I think about kids on social media, um, you know, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat, um, I think the biggest discrepancy that can occur um, currently with that is how kids treat other kids in those modalities. Um, I think it gives them a lot of protection, a lot of anonymity, and kids will say and do things um, via social media that they wouldn't uh, dream of doing in person, using language that they wouldn't use in person with somebody, Um, talking about another peer that they wouldn't have the guts or, or to come up to this person and say this particular thing to that. I think that um, discrepancy and that disconnect is probably an even bigger issue than I'm pretending to be this popular, you know, guy who's captain of the football team, and really that's not reality. I think it's more of um, how they conduct themselves on social media versus how they conduct themselves in person. I think that's really interesting because, and I think that goes for kids and adults, people act differently on social media. And it's interesting because that protection is there for the person that types uh, a message that might be rude or condescending or more aggressive than they would be in person. And I think the sender senses that protection and maybe assumes that same layer of protection is there for for the recipient of the message. Mm-hmm. But people that receive nasty messages on social media take it as personally as if it were delivered in person. Absolutely. So for the sender, it's like there's this protection there, but for the recipient, 
it's still just as harsh. So I just feel like maybe there's a breakdown and I don't know what effect that would have on the social fabric, especially for kids. When I think of what impact this will have on the social fabric for kids, um, I think it's going to be pretty confusing for them. Uh, I think, um, you know, they'll go to school the next day and Janie has just said terrible things about me on the internet and then she wants to sit next to me at lunch and she thinks that, oh, that's okay, it was just online and, and it doesn't matter. I think it could be confusing. I think it could have a great impact on self-esteem, self-confidence, um, because um, especially younger children and teens, we know this, that they develop their sense of who they are and what they think about themselves, not just based upon internal variables, but also what other people tell them and what other people show them. You know, are you smart? Are you pretty? Are you, you know, they get their cues from their peers, from their parents, from their teachers. And so who are kids become is not just, it, it, it doesn't occur in a vacuum. It occurs in the social context. So clearly, that's got to have an impact on their development and who they become as a person. And again, I think this is a critical, critical crossroads for parents to become involved hmm. and be involved. And what do you suggest that parents do? I guess I'm interested, I mean, I have two kids and I'm on my phone a lot at home or um, interacting with my laptop or an iPad if I'm checking work email or if I'm reading an article uh, or just sitting there watching television. My four-year-old sees that and he wants to mimic everything that daddy does at this point, um, including screen time. So when it's such a part of my life as an adult, what do I do to model behavior for mm -hmm. my children? Great question. And I think the rules that we have for our kids are the rules that we should follow as well. Some of the things that I would recommend to parents, and um, even the American Academy of Pediatrics um, talks about this as well, is um, first of all, you you have limited time on electronic. Well, and we're talking about different mediums too. We're talking phones, we're talking tablets, we're talking computers. We can even talk screen time in terms of a, a TV. But first of all, there's limits. You don't have free access and unlimited access to electronics. Um, at my house, <laughs> the kids get a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour in the afternoon, and then they're done. During the school year, during the week, it's much different. And it's away. It's, it's not anywhere where they can see it. The second thing is, is especially for teenagers, all of this occurs in common areas of the home. They're not in their, they're not in their room on their telephone. They're not in their room on their tablet. Um, that, leads, that can lead to some very dangerous situations um, where they feel they have, again, this anonymity, this privacy, um, and it, it needs to be completely transparent with parents. You know, I tell teenagers, if you are not comfortable sharing what you're doing on social media with your parents, then you know what you're doing on social media is inappropriate. You know, whether it be verbally, whether it be visually, whatever. So it needs to be in a common area. The second thing I tell parents is um, there's limits on time uh, in terms of not during uh, dinner time, not during family social time, um, and that it doesn't replace other activities. And, I, and that's the key. I want to make sure we come back to that, is I think that's a red flag for parents, is when kids start to 
turn to their phones, turn to their tablets, turn to their computers, and they're doing that in place of doing other in-person social activities. They're doing that in place of um, athletic events, in place of extracurriculars. Those are the red flags that, you know what, this is too muchness. The third thing, and this goes along with no electronics in their rooms, is at a certain time every night, no screen time. I like it, it, it's important to have it at least an hour before bedtime. Whether it's a teenager going to bed at 11 after they're finishing their homework or whatever, or it's an 8.30 bedtime for littler kids, everything goes and gets plugged in. There's chargers in the kitchen, in the living, wherever. Again, in a common area, all of those go there. Teenagers will say to me, oh, but I need my phone to wake up in the morning. It's my alarm. You can go to Walmart and buy a $5 alarm clock, and that will do the same trick. So kids will, but, you know, that phone will be buzzing all night. Text messages coming through or alerts coming through. Then it's disrupting sleep. You know, so having very concrete expectations, concrete rules for the kids. Now, going back to parents, you're absolutely correct. You are a model for your kids about when and how we interact with our technology. So it is important for you. You know what? Daddy doesn't have his phone at the dinner table. When daddy's watching TV or with you guys or playing with you guys, daddy puts his phone away, you know, things like that. Not um, you having the same types of limits that your kids do is very important because they're going to pick up on that. They're going to be like, well, why do you get to be on your tablet and on your phone, but I can't be? can't have the double standards. I've heard that from my four-year-old. Um, <laughs> now, you talk about, um, I'm thinking specifically about a teenager, telling a teenager that you use your phone when you're in my presence and you don't go use it in your room. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I know one of the most quintessential things of being a teenager is that independence. Mm -hmm. And social media is a, a tremendous outlet for that independence because a lot of times your parents aren't on there. They can't see what you're doing. Yeah. So how do you have a conversation that uh, helps fight that urge for the teenager to want to sneak around or be independent? How do you uh, talk to them about about that. Yeah, and I think it's a delicate balance between giving them their privacy and independence and protecting them. And parents should focus on the protection piece, that there's a lot of um, predators out there on social media and on the internet. And, and I think one of the errors in, um, not judgment, maybe in judgment, teens think that they know more than they know, but they don't know what they don't know. And that's why parents need to be tech savvy. You know, I think of myself, my four-year-olds can navigate the iPad probably better than I can. That's not okay. I need to get more tech savvy than my kids are. And we need to know in order to be able to protect our kids. So I think talking to teens about this as not being, you know what, I don't care if you're talking to Janie, your best friend, and what you guys are going to wear to the mall or whatever. It's the protection piece, that making sure that they're being safe and that nobody is trying to victimize them. That's the important piece and to focus on that. Now, that being said, I also think it should be very transparent with teenagers, that teenagers have the understanding that this is a privilege. Having this phone, having this tablet, whatever device it is, is a privilege. Because most likely most teens, 
that device was bought by their parents too. It's not something that, you know, is theirs and they're paying for the plan and all of that, that it's a privilege. And every privilege comes with responsibilities and every privilege also comes with limits and boundaries. You know, it's not, it it can't be a free reign thing. So I think it is an important and a delicate conversation to have with kids. And, and to reassure them that they're not going to be looking over their shoulder every single minute. But you know what? We are going to be keeping tabs on this. Um, because I think once you start down that line of being sneaky and of hiding things from a parent, it's hard to to turn that back around. You know, it's hard to not be sneaky then. Um, so it's a delicate balance that the teenager is given enough independence and enough privacy where they feel, ah, okay, this is good. But the parent is there for their protection and for their safety. That That's an that's a important balance to maintain with kids. Our guest is Dr. Stephanie Kolbeck, a child psychologist at Marshfield Clinic. Uh, There was an article in The Atlantic titled, um, Have Smartphones Ruined a Generation? And it was an interesting article. And one of the things that it it said in there that uh, rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011, which is sort of this time period where, okay, kids are starting to be raised where there's a tablet in their hand or at least available to them by the time that they could use it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the article, it said it's not an exaggeration to describe iGen, this generation, uh, as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Uh, are you observing this same phenomenon in your work? Yes and no. I think that have rates of anxiety and depression risen? Absolutely. Can we delineate and pinpoint um, why that is? I think that's a tougher question. Um, I certainly think that kids who are more isolated, um, kids who um, avoid social interaction for reasons such as anxiety or depression, um, that social media, or not even just social media, but um, yeah, that it makes it easier for them to do that because they can sit in their rooms by themselves with their computer and they can surf the internet. They can go on Facebook and just just look at other, what other people are doing. Um, I do think that just our entire, and and again, this is a good thing and a bad thing. The not so good thing about being so connected and so wired in is that um, the good part of that is, is it, it puts, it, it eliminates boundaries. It, you know, it makes our world smaller and it makes us be, it allows us to connect with other cultures, other times, other places. How wonderful for our kids to be able to do that. My child was on the internet last night looking up the solar eclipse and how that's going to be and where it's going and what the weather patterns are going to be. You know, and it was a touch, it was at eight o'clock right before he wants to go to bed. I didn't have to get in the car and drive to the library. Oh, the library's closed. So what a wonderful, you know, window for him and exposure for him. On the same hand, I think it's also exposed our kids to a lot of things that they would not have been exposed to if we didn't have so much um, internet access and media access. You know, they also see the violence in the world. You know, they, they see the, the terrorism. They see all of these scary things, which I think it can be very overwhelming for especially young children. They cognitively can understand, wow, these people, 
you know, in this other state were, were hitting each other and hurting each other and they really hate each other. They can get that, but emotionally they can't manage that. So they have all of this, this information that emotionally is very hard to manage. And so I think that's where we can also see an increase in that anxiety and that depression is, you know, oh my gosh, is this going to happen to me? Whereas decades ago, all we'd have to do is turn the radio off, turn the TV off, and then we and they don't have that exposure. So, so that's so I think it's a good thing and not so good thing. The other piece about what this article said is this, you know, ruining the generation. I think the other piece that sometimes happens is kids. Um, for example, let's say they go on Facebook or they go on Snapchat or any of those social media sites where kids post what they're doing. Kids are not generally going to post, my mom just grounded me and, you know, bad things. Grown-ups do the same thing. You go on Facebook, grown-ups are posting all about how wonderful their lives are and how blessed they are and how much money that, you know, it, it's all sunshine and rainbows. And when a child sees those things, and their life might not be, no one's life is sunshine and rainbows, but when a child sees that and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't get to do that, or they didn't invite me to that party, or I don't get to do that, that can also be very difficult when they don't really realize that's not reality. That's really a uh, painted picture of reality, a sanitized picture of what this you know, other child's reality probably is. So that could also increase some of the, the depression, meaning, oh, well, I wasn't out doing that. Um, so I think there's, a, you know, again, there's, it, there's some goodness with it's connecting us as a world, but then um, children of a younger age, particularly, it might be a too muchness for them. I think it was in that same Atlantic article that um, it said that kids are, now safer, they're having sex later for the first time, uh, they're less likely to get into a car accident and drink underage. Um, maybe that's the other side of the coin of this sort of social isolation. If that's the case, is that a good trade-off in your mind? It might be a good trade-off. Um, I think we come back to a word that I really want to make sure that we taught, you know, that is heard today is it's balance. Um, that every that it's so important to have balance in these um, exposures. We also want our we want our kids in some respects. Okay, we don't want them getting in car accidents and you know teenage pregnancies and all of that. I also think there also is some value in kids learning how to take um, risks and what are risks I want to take. What are risks I don't want to take? How do I resist these risks? So if I'm out with my friends and my friends say, oh, come on, let's go do that. I, I think it, you know, exposure to those situations isn't necessarily a bad thing because we want our kids to, I, I know this sounds strange, but we want them to fail on little things when they're little so that they know first how to handle that failure and that risk. Um, and later on they can, so that as they grow older, 
they know how to say, you know what, mm, that's not a risk I want to take. So in some respects, it, it is a nice trade-off in that our kids are safer. Our kids aren't engaging in as many of these high-risk behaviors. However, it doesn't mean they're not going to be exposed to them at some age. And do we want them to be exposed to some of these things when they're younger? They're in our homes. We can see what's happening. We can maybe help them be able to avoid them or problem solve them so that they don't get into that car accident so they don't end up being pregnant in you know or engaging in sexual activities so some of those things um again i think it's a balance uh, act that we need to we need to to do because i think being on the internet and being out there for you know everyone uh in a sense brings with it other inherent risks that weren't present decades ago. You know, you can invite a stranger into your home, essentially. You know, your six-year-old can be on an internet site and be telling them their address and their phone number. And so there's other risks, I think, that do come with such access to the, to the internet and social media and things like that, that parents need to be aware of. Um, Sure, they might not, it might not be the don't speed and, you know, all of that. It, it, it may be a, it's a different set of risks, I think. Kids might not be getting in as many car accidents. They might not be engaging in, um, you know, sex at earlier ages. But there could be other risks that, um, that come with that. Do you feel like this technology is changing the development curve for kids? I, I, I'm i not sure where I, I saw it the other day. It, it might have been a, re, a report on the news talking about how um, companies are starting to view um, people in their early 20s as sort of adults coming of age, whereas used to, it used to be when you were 21, you were an adult. A lot of times people were getting married in their early 20s. My, my folks, I think, got married at age 20 or 21. Um, it seems like even though we have access to more information and the ability to really know anything we want, kids are developing later. You see kids staying at home with their parents more often uh, after college. Do you, are you noticing that as well, that the development curve maybe is changing a little bit? I think so. However, I'm not sure that it's due so much to, you know, the internet and social media and technology and all that. That may be more an artifact of where we're at financially and where our country is. You know, kids aren't being, they're not able to get jobs as easily um, straight out of college. Or, you know, years and years ago, you could get a job out of high school, you know, and that was your income and that was your livelihood. So I think overall, and, and I'm not sure what the variables are contributing to this, but you call it adolescence, and older adolescence absolutely has grown. The age at, you know, and humans have the longest adolescence ever. I mean, look at birds and other animals. You, you get kicked out of the nest and you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, humans aren't that way. So I think that's generally been a trend that adolescence is longer and longer and longer. And I'm not sure if it's related to this or if it's just an artifact of, you know, where, you know, financially and where our, you know, culture is right now. My last question. Uh, I'm curious what you think sort of, and we've touched on it a bit, the broader effect will be on society 30 years from now when um, 
people that are my age or your age are, you know, the, our kids today are, are, are now 30 and 40 and 50 and running the world, running companies in the government, and they've uh, been raised interacting with each other in this sort of digital way. Uh, and I know you're not an anthropologist, but I guess I'm just curious what your uh, thoughts are and what the broader effect of society on society will be 30, 40 years from now. I think at that point we we won't notice that, oh my goodness, this is so different. It'll become a new norm, just like right now, the way we communicate, the way we interact is a new norm. And older folks are like, ah, we never used to do it that way. But for us, it's typical. And for us, it's it's just a way of being. There'll be certain things that will be lost, certain ways, certain social uh, skills maybe, or interpersonal skills will be lost, but other skills will be gained as well. Um, so I think it will, it, you know, 30 years from now, it'll I, I don't think it will be seen as, oh, my goodness, look at what this has done to our society, because I think it will be just the new norm and and how things have developed. And I think no matter what generation you're talking about, you know, the tech generation that we're in right now or the I generation, if you want to call it that, um, I think the key is that when you're parenting and when you're talking about the impact that these types of um, – this type of technology, this this type of um, expansion has on kids. Parents have to be involved. They have to be knowledgeable, and they have to have good balance with their. They 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 have to be very observant, you know. And I and it doesn't matter if it's right now we're talking about social media and um, internet and technology, or if it's generations ago and you're talking about rock and roll and you know all of that sort of things parents parents need to be involved in their kids lives and um, have a knowledge of how this is impacting them so that it can kids can use this and kids can be a part of this without it harming them they can, they can have all the benefits of social media and the benefits of technology and the internet but they're not going to be harmed by it. And I think that's where parents come in um, in terms of making sure there's limits, making sure that they're aware of where their kids are at and what their kids are doing, um, explaining to, you know, helping them understand what's what's out there. And so I think if it's right now or 30 years from now, that's going to be an important piece. Do you have any parting thoughts that you'd like to share with us? I think just that that sentiment of not villainizing social media and technology, but also being cautious with our kids and how they access it and how they use it. Um, I, think, I think that that's the key. The more involved we are, uh, the better. Balance. I go back to that word balance again. Um, if we notice changes and unbalancing, gosh, we need to think about that a little bit. Dr. Kolbeck, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. The Rounds is produced by Ryan Matterick and supported by the Marketing and Communications Department of Marshfield Clinic Health System. You can subscribe to The Rounds and download episodes via iTunes or by visiting shine365.marshfieldclinic.org. 
I'm Adam Hawking, and I hope you'll join us next time on The Rounds. <laughs>